Welcome back to the Rural Roundup. This show is produced in association with the Scottish Government. I'm Kerry Hammond and on today's episode, Tiffany Stevenson and George Chalmers are joined by Ian Boyd, a Senior Environmental Consultant at SAC Consulting, for our first quarterly spotlight on the environment. They'll be discussing water scarcity, wildfires, water pollution and renewables. This is a valuable conversation you don't want to miss. On this episode, we're also joined by Rachel Smiley, host of the Natural Capital podcast, one of our sister podcast shows. And she tells us what's coming up on their podcast this year. Hi, George. How's it going? It's fine, Tiffany. And um, how's Mrs. Stevenson? All going well so far. We had a wonderful day and the weather was very kind to us and everything went smoothly. So I couldn't ask for any more. Excellent. Excellent. So I've come back and everyone's talking about the June census. Um, I know it's very important the farmers get their June census filled in. And the deadline for that is on Friday the 30th of June. Have you helped anyone do the census yet, George? Yeah, I've had a couple... um... It's the first one, I think, since 2019. Um, there are a few questions that need a bit of thought. Um, they're looking at uh, bits and mucks and fertilizers. So it's it's certainly not, I, I know online is one of the preferred uh, platforms. Um, it's certainly worth reading through the questions beforehand um, and, and taking a bit of time just to work out your answers, really. Yeah, definitely worth um, having a think beforehand and make sure you do get it filled in by Friday the 30th of June. And we're delighted today to be joined by Ian, who's going to be talking all things environmental with us. Hi, Ian. Hello, Mrs. Stevenson. (laughs) How's it going? What are you busy with at the moment? It's uh, going very well, thanks. Yeah, Um, busy in quite a range of stuff, just seems to be lots of projects on go at the moment which is always good nice to be kept busy but yeah a range of planning applications environmental assessments um kind of carbon footprinting and life cycle assessments a whole bunch of stuff we're doing at the moment so yeah it's interesting definitely sounds like you're keeping very busy i know the one thing that's jumping to the front of my mind at the moment when it comes to the environment is it has been very warm, very hot and very dry recently. I know in the borders, I think a few people have had a slight drizzle of rain, but a lot of places haven't seen rain in quite a while now. So what impact is this going to be having going forward, Ian? Yeah, you're right. I mean, in you know, agriculture, we always like to talk about the weather and it, this month in particular, it, it's it, it hasn't rained substantially for a very long time. Um, there was rain forecast this weekend, but I mean, I was over on the west coast, and very little rain actually seemed to to come in the end. Water levels, river levels are are, are very low. Um, you've seen quite a lot of wildfires, unfortunately, especially up in the Highlands, um, which is obviously damaging a lot of land. Um, but it's also starting to threat people's houses and, and livelihoods. Um, so potential health impact there as well from from smoke now impacting um, people's properties and stuff and there's also um, quite a lot of water scarcity warnings um, I know SIPA have been on before um, to, to talk about water scarcity and 
it's just kind of worth reiterating their point that they have these really handy reports on their website which gives early warnings and, and alerts for scarcity. Um, majority of the country now is either an alert or an early warning, the exception being Shetland um, and there's a, a part up on the the northwest which is um, in significant scarcity as well so yeah um, seeing quite a bit lower rainfall than would be expected normally but this is kind of something we're having to get a bit more used to these days um, with you know climate change and, and things like that these longer drier hotter summers are something they're predicting are going to happen more of in the future so uh, yeah unfortunately it's probably going to become just a, a way of life and something that farmers are going to have to kind of factor into their, their business plan and, and their way of working going forward. I think Ian that uh, you know a lot of farmers they, they 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 know before it becomes official that it's dry. I mean the crops um the crops start yellowing and the grass grass stops growing basically. Um what advice have you got for farmers there that are um you know it, it seems becoming more and more of a regular occurrence. Um what steps can they really be t- thinking about taking? to make sure they've got plenty of water going forward. Yeah, it's a hard one. Um, we talk about climate change adaptation quite a lot. And what that means is that a lot of farmers are already doing climate change adaptation. They're just perhaps not calling it that. What they're doing is just kind of common business sense. And it's stuff that they'll be doing all the time. And probably a lot of people are doing good things already. But what you can really do is just look at how are you using your water and, and can you use it more efficiently or can you put things in place to perhaps um, enable additional storage or things like that so look at your storage have you got storage on farm is there a way you can kind of incorporate that and can you improve it um, do you have an irrigation system in place um, do you perhaps need to think about doing that in the future um, but again you have to be careful about kind of when you're using that and how you're using that I mean, are, is there any obvious leaks in your farm? Are you using water efficiently? Is there anything you can actually do to, to minimize water use? Um, one thing you can maybe look at doing is kind of forming a local abstraction group with kind of neighboring farms and, and things like that. And look at, can you all team together and work in a way so that you're not all taking water out of the same water source at the same time and you're kind of managing your water use so that you're all kind of, you know, no one's getting left out and you're all using it efficient, efficiently but you're also leaving enough kind of any catchment for, you know, people downstream or for wildlife and nature and that sort of thing. So it's quite a difficult one because there's not much you can do about, you can't do anything about the weather. You just have to kind of deal with it. But the more prepared you can be and the more kind of efficient you can be on farm with your water, that's kind of the, the, the main thing. If we think about the wildfires, I mean, that is threatening people's properties now as well. So, I mean, the Scottish Wildlife Forum has quite a lot of good stuff on the website raising awareness of what other people have done it's worth checking them out and do you have like a fire action plan on farm have you actually planned for it if you're ever threatened by wildfire do you have a plan in place to, to deal with that so that's the sort of things you can you can look at um we did provide a climate change adaptation checklist a few years ago we did a project for that which we can provide a link to um with this podcast and, and it kind of has a lot of kind of steps and recommendations to stuff you can work through to see if you're doing it on farm a lot of it is common sense a lot of it is stuff that people will already be doing and already being aware of but it's kind of worthwhile sometimes just reminding yourself and, and going through that and and um, looking at your farm with a fresh pair of eyes to see if there's anything you can you can do to improve things 
There's definitely quite a number of things there that you've suggested which people can be doing. And you would hope that they've already started thinking about some of those ideas. But I really like the idea of um, having an abstraction point which a group of farmers could use. I think that's a a really, really good idea. And I'll be honest, I've not actually heard of any farmers doing that. So it'd be quite nice to hear if there are farmers doing that. Yeah, it wouldn't necessarily have to be a single point. It could be, you know, if you're on a river, you're all taking it out at different points of that river, but you're you're all within the same section of catchment. And if everyone happens to take it out at the same time, you know, that, that's going to have quite a drastic effect on, on water levels and, and things. Um, or can you share it around a bit so that you know, if one farmer needs it more than the others, perhaps you, you skip it for a day or something and let someone else do it if, if water levels are bad. So it's just, yeah, it's worth thinking about. And, and Ian, a couple of years ago, uh, we seemed to quite a lot of interest in, in rainwater harvesting. How cost effective is that? So, yeah, they can be fairly cost effective, but it does depend on the scheme you put in and, and what you're actually using the water for. Um, obviously, if you're um, if you're harvesting rainwater from, from roofs and stuff like that, the amount of storage you'll have from it and the amount of actual water you'll get from it will vary um, depending on the amount of rainfall and the size of the roof um, and the amount of storage you have for it. There's also certain limitations on, on what you can use that water for in the day. So, for example, you wouldn't feed it to, to livestock without putting it through some form of treatment or something like that because you're not actually sure of kind of what the quality of the water is that's going into it. So it's just kind of bearing in mind that sort of thing. But, yeah, it's a good way if you do have, you know, like we're saying earlier, that's a good option for looking at your farm and trying to see is there anything you can actually do on farm to, to kind of help with your storage issues and if you have large roof spaces and, and things like that and you know, large runoff areas that you can capture that water from yeah it could be a, a good option it could help you know especially at times like now where there has been a severe lack of rainfall over the last few weeks like that little bit of extra capacity could make a, a big difference i've definitely seen um farmers collecting the rainwater and then putting it into their sprayers um which they found as a useful useful way of using that water um, it'll be interesting to see what happens this year with irrigation because I know um, in the borders last year had for the first time restrictions on irrigation. So it'll be interesting to see how the warm weather plays out and what happens this year. So thinking about water, I know there's been a lot of issues in the past um, and conversations around water pollution. And fair enough, there might not be a lot of water going around at the moment, but it's still something that people need to be aware of. What's going on with water pollution at the moment, Ian? Yeah, well, I think I think you're right, especially this time of year, especially with the warm weather and stuff. It is perhaps a time where people are a bit more aware of, the public are more aware of water quality as people tend to use beaches and waterways a bit more frequent. I, you know, myself was in the beach of the weekend there so yeah water pollution is an issue and it is an issue that's in the news a fair bit at the moment um there was a, a story recently it's been going on for a while but last few weeks the the river Wye down in england and wales has been downgraded um because it's kind of failing water quality and the, a lot of the blame of that has been put onto agriculture now in the past a lot of the the blame or the causes and stuff where you know a lot of people are kind of are quite aware of sewage plants and water treatment plants and then just discharging sewage at times um for whatever reason and that having an impact on on water quality i think what you're starting to see now is a growing of public awareness of the impact that 
agriculture and some agricultural practices might be having on, on water quality. Now, there's a bit of an argument that sometimes the empirical data, the actual facts and stuff to, to back up some of these claims aren't necessarily there. You know, it's just anecdotal. People like to blame one thing over another. Um, the rea reality is it's probably a combination of lots of little things over a large area all adding up um, to cause a problem. But yeah, agriculture is is part of that. It's also a massive part of the solution. Um, and there's lots of stuff that farmers can be doing to kind of manage pollution risk and manage kind of um, any runoff and, and things like that on their farm as well. So what are the biggest risks at this kind time of year for farmers to think about and try and mitigate? Yeah, well, there's, there's a range of risks. Obviously, um, you know, you tend to see these pollution peaks and stuff like that at times when, when there's been a, a rainfall event and, you know, there's been runoff from the land. And, and that it could be stuff from if you're spraying on, on crops or arable fields, it, it could be um, your runoff from manures and slurries and, and things like that. Um, also, it's a, it's a warm time of year, so any livestock you have, any cattle might be quite fond to going into the river to, to cool down and, you know, their, their muck and stuff will end up in these waterways as well. So you might be looking at trying to reduce po poaching and, and kind of run off by fencing off certain areas of your land and just, you know, using your manures and slurries and fertilizers wisely because at the end of the day, I mean, if it's running off into the the, the watercourse and rivers and groundwater, it's not benefiting your, your fields and, and your crops and stuff. So you want to use them wisely, use them efficiently and get the best use out of them so all those nutrients and benefits are staying on your land and, and aren't um, going into where they're not meant to be. The Farming and Water Scotland website is a, a really good resource to use. Um, there, there's lots of really, inf really useful information on there. There's um, updated Know the Rules guides on there, which cover everything from slurry and manure storage to um, ditch clearing and um, storage of oil and pesticides and things like that. So it's well worth checking that out. Um, there's also updated general binding rules on um, slurries and manures as well. So we, uh, we can provide a link to the Farming and Water Scotland website, but there's lots of really important and useful information on there. So I recommend if you are looking for any advice or looking for tips on, on what you should do or could be doing, it's a really good place to, to start. Um, um, Ian, and up here um, and probably all around the country as well, uh, cattle tend to get access to barns and that through waterings and that. Um, what is the... What's the rules there? Um, in yeah, terms of pollution so, and that, when when should things really be shut off and and uh, you know, uh, an alternative uh, waterings essentially be be installed, a trough or something like that? Yeah, it is it is a difficult one because um, you know it's it's quite an easy solution if you have a, a barn or stream running through your field, it's a, a nice handy point for cattle to use or sheep, and um, you know it's something they've perhaps been doing for for decades if not centuries before um ideally when you know if they're causing a problem so they're causing significant poaching which is like where you're you know you're seeing the ground being really eroded and trodden away and stuff like that you know you need to prevent that you need to prevent any significant pollution happening so from you know, you know any manure or anything like that going into it you, you can the easiest way to do that is to fence it off and you, you 
can provide alternative watering to it. I mean, it's fairly simple to do. Um, there's it, you can sometimes use things like you know pasture pumps or even like solar powered pumps to pump water up to a feeder trough and then use that to supply the whole farm as well. So um, there are benefits to doing that. You're not only improving the water quality for the catchment, you're actually improving the water quality for the animals themselves. So you're you know if they're drinking water that's really polluted by themselves but going into it that's not good for their health either so if you can actually help to clean up um, that you're going to promote kind of good animal health there at the same time. Apart from the know your rules and the changes to the general binding rules is there anything else around water which we should be aware of? Yeah so those updates um, yeah there is information about those on the Farm and Water Scotland website as we said so definitely go read those um, if, if you're interested and if it's relevant to you. Um, there's always kind of certain things and certain policies about. Um, one thing that's come out fairly recently would be the kind of the wild salmon strategy. Um, they've got an implementation plan which runs from this year until 2028. Um, part of that in the actions there is it's basically aimed at improving the condition of rivers, um, giving salmon access to cold and healthy clean water and um, so within that plan there is kind of um, an action to work with farmers and land managers in priority catchments areas to ensure their compliance with the regulations um, and just various other strategies to ensure there's adequate water supply flow of water and um, cold water so putting in things like, like shading to try and reduce water temperature um, and just generally improve the the, the habitat for salmon because the populations of salmon are, are in decline. And this is basically their attempt to try and do stuff about that and reverse that trend. Who knew we had so much to talk about when it comes to water? And it's great to hear that uh, they're working to try and improve the salmon numbers and decrease the decline. I've definitely noticed there's a lot less fish um, when you're walking along and looking inside rivers. So it's good to hear they're doing something about it. Ian, you've just been making me think, you were mentioning before about potential to use solar-powered pumps for the water troughs. I'm sure there's lots of other uses of renewables which we could be using on farms because I know electricity bills have gone up and up. So what should farmers start to be thinking about on their farms? Yeah, you're right. I mean, energy prices have been high for quite a while now. Um, the wholesale prices have started to come down, but there's a bit of a delay, it seems, between that actually being seen in your energy bills, annoyingly. But um, so energy bills still remain quite high. You are seeing things like, you know, the, the petrol, the, the pump and stuff is starting to go down a little bit. But with these high kind of energy prices, it there's a lot of interest from farmers, again, looking at trying to improve their self-sufficiency when it comes to energy and um, looking at you know renewable options perhaps some storage options on farm um, the, the first thing though you should always do you know before you invest in any type of you know new technology is to look at well where can you make savings where can you improve efficiencies first of all and doing that you know it makes it's not going to, it's only um not only going to save you money in the long term it's also going to make sure you're actually investing in the right type of technology the right amount of storage so you're not going to be spending money where you perhaps don't necessarily need to so we are seeing a bit of a resurgence actually in um interest on kind of small to medium farm scale renewables which were 
pretty big during um, you know feeding tariff times, but there's a bit of resurgence now because of these high energy prices. So are there some quick wins that farmers can get on their farm to try and be more efficient? I'm so, sure you've seen lots of different farms and realised that there's a, a few things that stand out that you're telling a lot of farmers to do. Yeah, I, I don't know if quick wins is the right word because some of these things might actually take quite a number of years before you see any reward or return. But there's lots of um, good things you should be looking at and doing. Um, I mean, looking at machinery, looking at energy waste is, is always really useful to do an energy audit, you know, just to monitor your supply, monitor your, your electricity meters, your equipment, that sort of thing. And finding out what your major kind of draws of power are and when it is as well. Um, and then doing that, you can either work out ways of saving that or you can perhaps look at, you know, is there a renewable technology that, that matches well with what my demand is and would help to offset my reliance on on grid bought power and therefore helping me save money on my bills. Um, there's a few kind of useful resources available and, and funding places. So Farming for Better Climate's got a lot of useful information on it, the FAST websites, and there's a lot of renewable energy advice on there. A lot of that is currently being updated as well. So over the next few months, there should be a lot of really new and up-to-date information on there as well. Um, Business Energy Scotland, for example, um, they offer a small and medium enterprise loan, which covers most agricultural businesses, um, or should do. It's worth looking into that. They can give you up to £100,000 interest-free um, for, for various measures on your farm. But they also have um, cashback grants for renewable heat and for energy efficiency measures as well. Um, so it's definitely worthwhile if you're thinking about these sorts of things. Um, look onto their website. As part of that, you have to do a report for it and, and they can help you provide you with this um, free report which assesses your kind of business needs and discusses what would be the best options for you as well. So yeah, definitely check out Business Energy Scotland um, if you're looking for that. And also Home Energy Scotland for any kind of domestic properties you might have which aren't linked to your business. Um, that's a good resource as well. Again, kind of smaller scale stuff, but again, useful advice on there and funding. Um, certainly some of the more intensive uh, producers, so your, your vegetable growers, pigs, poultry, um, you know, their, their energy costs, they just rocketed uh, last autumn. Um, doing an energy audit, clearly it would be worthwhile in their cases, you know, measuring efficiency and, and the modernness of a lot of their equipment. Who, who, who can deliver that? Yeah, so there's a range of different people. I mean, if you did go through the Business Energy Scotland loan, for example, they can match you up with you know companies that will carry that out for you. There is a bit of a backlog at the moment, so there's a bit of a delay in getting that done. But again, it's worthwhile. Um, if you're thinking about doing it, it's worthwhile sticking with it and, and trying to get them. There's a lot of now, you know, in the past, There's, I mean, it'll still be the case to a certain extent, but in the past, there was perhaps a bit of a bad reputation around some renewable kind of salesman type approaches, you know, um, blind callers who who would just come and try and sell you stuff without really knowing too much about it or giving you the best deal. I would say that's kind of gone away quite a bit now. There's a lot of really reputable companies and developers out there who will offer the whole kind of package from the initial, you know, feasibility study through to actually selling you the kit and helping you install it as well. 
Um, so it's worth checking them out. But kind of the advice I always say is look at your neighbours, look at people around about you. And, and if there's you know, solar panels, for example, on a roof, go speak to them and ask who did it, what was their experience with that company, how they how they go about it. Because there's a lot of local contractors, local firms and, and good expertise out there these days. Um, so just speak to people, check out the FAS website um, and, and check out the kind of various energy and government websites as well, which exist out there and can provide loads of useful um, resources. It's great to hear that there's so many opportunities and there's so many people available to help out, out as well if you are wanting to look more closely at your energy usage. Yeah, Ian, we're beginning to see some farmers up here um, even looking at hydrolyzers on vehicles. Um, what's your opinion on that technology? Yeah, um, it's quite an interesting area, actually. So storage has been something people have been looking at and thinking about for a long time, and it's not really been overly viable, you know, until about now, I would say, in the farm scale. The reason for that is, like, storage options have become more viable due to kind of the high electricity prices, to be honest. And, and there's a whole range of stuff from different types of battery tech to the, the hydrogen technology as well. Um, the hydrolyzers and things like that, they are really good um, in generating stuff like green hydrogen as well, where you're actually perhaps using your renewables to generate hydrogen for it. It's a really good way of, you know, if, if you're generating surplus on your farm for whatever reason, it's a really good way of instead of just selling it to the grid at perhaps quite a lower price, you can actually create hydrogen for it and, and use that for yourself at a later point. Um, green hydrogen is quite an emerging area. Um, like you say, there's a lot of work going on, especially up in the northeast of, of Scotland, um, about generating hydrogen and, and using it for a whole range of stuff from, from vehicles, you know, um, buses and ferries and tractors, all the way to actually using it to help to make, um, you know, green green fertilizer as well, because a lot of hydrogen that's used for that at the moment comes from um, fossil fuels and um, from natural gas, that's what they generate at the moment. So using renewables and stuff, you know, there's a really big opportunity there for the agricultural sector, I would say, and it's emerging, so it's growing all the time. I think it's very interesting to hear about that. I might, this might be the silly question, but is hydrogen not quite uh, flammable or combustible or not the safest thing to use? How safe is it to be using this on farms? Yeah, so um, you do hear that quite a bit. Um, it's a part of the reason, I guess, if you see the hydrogen buses going about, is why their tanks are on the, on the roof, for example. But, I mean, we use diesel we use petrol we use natural gas all of that is incredibly flammable um there used to be issues around the storage and the safe kind of containment of hydrogen gas i'd say that's an area that, that they're addressing and they perhaps have addressed um and i wouldn't say you know it's like any technology that develops we've, we've cracked that problem with st storing your, your butane and various other gases over the years it, it's just the kind of same problem but yeah is flammable it needs to be flammable really to <laughs> to do what it's meant to do but yeah that's a good point to make and the safety of it is a is a big consideration as is like, there's lots of potential safety issues on farms you just have to you know it's an extra thing you have to be aware of and make sure you've got the right procedures and policies and practices in place um it would be fair to say as well ian that um one of the simplest ways to improve your efficiency is to um it's really good good housekeeping and good practice. And by that, what I'm meaning is that um, 
keep things well maintained. Um, I remember once being at a farmer's meeting and the speaker basically saying people think absolutely nothing about spending half a million pounds on a new combine and yet they'll put up buildings and um, not keep up the ventilation and such like and, and really for the sake of spending a, a few thousand pounds a year service and that, um, they really get the best of them. Yeah, definitely. You're right. I mean, I think as well, like people always look for a quick payback as well on a lot of these things. And actually, you know, the payback on them, it might not always be as quick as like four or five years. It could be a lot longer than that. But if, if you're doing something or you know you're doing something in your business, it's going to be there for, for decades, you know, looking at perhaps type of renewable technology you can install or, you know, incorporating some sorts of, you know, energy efficiency measures or insulation or something in the buildings themselves, you know, ventilation, like you say, um, is all really important. And it's something that, you know, it's sometimes not really, like you say, not really thought about as a priority. But if you if you're trying to be sustainable, if you're trying to reduce your, your cost, you're trying to reduce your energy use, all these sorts of things, doing lots of little things, you know, over time, they all add up and they will make a difference in the long run. Everything in farming is thinking about the longer term and the bigger picture. So I think that is good advice, seeing what there is and it might not be the short payback, but in the end, it's going to be a better thing for your farm. Thank you for joining us today, Ian. It's been great having you on. I think we see you back again in three, three months' time. Sounds good, Tiffany. Thanks, George. Yeah, thanks, Tiffany. Thanks, Ian. Thanks. Bye. To keep things on topic with this episode's environmental theme, we're now joined by Rachel Smiley, host of the FAS Natural Capital podcast to tell us what's coming up on her series this year. The Natural Capital podcast covers quite a variety of topics. In our description, we say that natural capital covers the earth, soils, rocks, air, water, plants and animals and all the valuable resources that provide a wide range of service and benefits. So the topics are quite varied um, and the first one that we done, our first episode, actually covers an introduction to natural capital, what it is, the background about why it's important. So that episode is a good starting point for anyone that wants to kind of kick off with their interest in natural capital. Last year was the first year of the Natural Capital podcast. We started off with six episodes covering um, the introduction to natural capital and topics such as arable, um, green commerce, peatlands and rainforest episodes as well. We had a really good response from listeners and so this year we have decided to produce 12 episodes out every month covering an even more diverse range of topics. It's hard to pick a favourite episode um, from last year out of the six, um, but if I had to pick one, it would be the rainforest episode as we went down to Tainish Reserve and recorded in the rainforest with 
Helen Bibby and Stan Phillips from Nature Scott. So we got to go down and just describe the amazing habitat, why it's important and signpost to some more resources that listeners could um, find out some more information. Um, so yeah, that would be my favourite. And then a close second would be the Arable episode um, where we spoke to a farmer down in the borders just about all the different activities that he's doing on his farm to increase biodiversity and diversifying um, from the crops as well. So the activities that was being carried out at Woodend Farm in the borders for the arable episode was the the field margins that they were planting for the pollinators and we did put some nice images in the show notes of the episode so they're great to have a look at while you're also listening to it so you get an idea of what we're discussing. Season two of the Natural Capital podcast um, there are currently two episodes released. The first episode, Ian Boyd stepped in as I was unable to record. And he spoke to Lorna Cole, I'm a consultant at SAC, former researcher at SRUC, and spoke about pollination on farm and the beneficial insects and the different types of bees that you can get and the, the relationship between wild pollinators and the beekeeping industry so it's really interesting and um, I really did learn a lot. The next episode we spoke to an organisation who are have natural capital as their business model Highlands Rewilding and they've got some exciting activity going on through their purchasing of a new estate and um, we spoke to Dr Jeremy Leggett who also speaks about the activity on his other two estates, Bill Dorney and Bunloit. The next episode on the Natural Capital podcast, um, we went to a farm in Edinburgh and we did, as part of the 30 Days Wild campaign for the Wildlife Trust, a producer Ian and I went to a farm and did a farm wildlife walk. So we recorded with Mary Jane Laurie, an agricultural advisor at SAC, and we walked her farm and spoke about the different habitats, her hedges, her wetland, and we talked about the different apps that farmers can use to get involved in looking at biodiversity on their farm. And for the rest of the year, um, I don't want to give out too many spoilers, but we will be looking at the kind of cultural side of natural capital and the heritage and maybe and we will also be looking again at green finance because this seems to be the most hot topic that people like to discuss and we will be discussing the national park and what we think we need from a new national park in Scotland. Apart from the Natural Capital podcast I work on the environment team at SAC um, as an environmental consultant and at the moment my work focuses on natural capital funnily enough and we look at doing some reports for estates to farm scales of the different natural capital assets that they have and how these can be enhanced, improved, doing biodiversity audits and things like that 
I'm also looking at, as part of Farm Advisory Service, we are looking at producing some information on beavers and how farmers can engage with the new beaver strategy that was released in 2022. Outside of work, I've just moved house, so I'm an avid gardener trying to get it looking nice for summer. I am also heavily influenced by the latest episodes of Natural Capital and I have downloaded a lot of the apps to listen to the birds roundabout, see what plants are growing. And apart from that, I am looking after my new six-month puppy who is in his current teenager phase. The action I would ask for listeners is to listen to the Natural Capital podcast episodes. Although they are quite diverse and you might not think that they're of interest to you, it's such a diverse topic that every episode can kind of relate to every aspect of farming. So natural capital kind of brings all the different aspects together. So whether you're um, an arable farmer or a livestock farmer, there still is some information in the podcast that you will find really of interest, but I might just be biased. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup. Subscribe to this channel to make sure you get notified of new episodes and we'll see you back here on the 5th of July for our next episode. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.